Hello, and welcome to episode number 70 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on the show, we take an hour or so to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. We're so glad you're here with us today. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. To help out the show and get a free audiobook of your choice, as well as a free 30-day trial, please do visit audibletrial.com slash unwind. They have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from. Mike... We're back. I, uh, how are you doing, first of all? I'm doing pretty good. It's a little bit more fall, autumn-y weather here. Yeah? Having daytime highs of six degrees. Well, it's raining, terrible. but yeah. Daytime of six? Uh, maybe daytime of like 12. Okay. But oh. morning is six degrees. I was reading that it's, the El Nino this year means that we're probably going to have a warmer fall and winter but I guess mm-hmm. that doesn't include Alberta. It has its own ideas. I'm thinking it will average out. Okay. You okay. Know, so it's it'll not stay like that. It'll stay at six yeah. for the entire winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. Yeah, you get no fall, no snow. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? How's your week been? Uh, it's been pretty good. I did a nice 30 kilometer bike ride yesterday, just nice. kind of on a whim. It's intense. Yeah, it was fun. I hadn't been, I'd been biking to work, but I hadn't done any actual bike rides, like just wandering. Right. It was fun. Did you go with anyone? No. I, I thought about, like I had my phone, so I thought about doing some kind of broadcasting, but I don't trust, no matter how much, like I have a little tripod that could fit on my bike, uh, my handlebars to like hold my phone to try to record something or just like track with the, with a, one of those biking apps. But mm-hmm. uh, no, I don't, I don't trust it enough to, I, my bike probably vibrates too much and I've had, right. I had my headlamp kind of shake loose and i just saw saw it happening with my my camera my phone and it wasn't worth it (laughs) uh we have i guess a lot of car related follow-up and i get it's not really follow-up it's just more stories about self-driving stuff and cars of the future and so uh why don't you start what 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 kind of car news are we looking at uh today well You'll remember that we talked about the self-driving, or not the self-driving, but the Jeep that they were able to hack into and remotely control. So they've actually released a patch, Chrysler released a patch for their their Jeep uh, make of of vehicles that was uh, vulnerable to this hack. So I guess these guys who did the hack, they approached Chrysler and said, hey, this is what we're able to do. You know, you should probably fix this. So they did release a fix for it, a patch to the software that, uh, or the firmware, both, I guess, that runs the vehicle's communications and, uh, I guess, computer side of things. And so that was good. That was, that was a beneficial thing. It helped everyone. But in the way that no one can be perfect or there's always something wrong that people are going to find, <laughs> Chrysler sent out the patch via postal service and a usb stick Mm -hmm. and said hey guys plug this into your car and download whatever it has on it it will help you (laughs) so which is you know you'd like to be able to trust chrysler and the things you get in the mail yeah but part of it is generally you shouldn't be trying to change anything on the car's software especially on your own right um so i guess the part the thing that people are saying is that this could leave yourself vulnerable to having people try to send out things via postal service and kind of spoof an authentic, you know, Chrysler or Toyota or whatever uh, letter, you know, throw a USB stick in there and say, hey, plug this into your car. We've released a patch for the software. 
Right. And you're kind of conditioning people to just get used to just plugging things that they receive in the mail into their car. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Chrysler responded with, well, you know, what do you want? Come on, guys. Like, <laughs> we're trying here. Um, is the, it was the easiest way, you know, everyone's already registered with the the dealer or the manufacturer with yeah. their cars, you know, to be distributed, these types of things. So that was easy. You know, people get the mail kind of more or less guaranteed. So you don't have to rely on people bringing their vehicles in. Right. Um, so that, that was kind of their justification for the way they went about doing it. But I think people would have preferred to see either the ability to do an over the air update, which is kind of ideally what they should be able to do, but for some reason they can't or didn't. Yeah. Or didn't the one article I read said they, weren't able to right. but yeah maybe they just didn't um or the other option was just to send out letters saying bring your car into a dealership and then we'll load the update yeah there which i think is probably the best the thing they should have done because that's what generally happens with recalls yeah is they say bring your car into a dealership as soon as possible especially if you but, say we discovered a security flaw please bring your car into the dealership we'll fix it for free like that yeah people well, would do that that's the whole thing yeah. yeah so but i guess they chose the way of sending out usb sticks which yeah it's not ideal it's not and great. i guess they're they're kind of using a slippery slope argument saying that this kind of opens yourself up to having people be okay with putting things into their vehicle like that but i don't know what what your thoughts are you probably are on the same page with that that it's not ideal but probably the best they could have had to work with yeah so i'm curious how does uh how does tesla do updates well, that's the thing, is that I think they do have an over-the-air system. Because I remember, I remember we've talked about before how Tesla has pushed an update. Like, they found a bug in whatever, and they just pushed an update to all the vehicles, and it was fixed. Yep. That, that, so, that is the correct answer. Yeah. So it's I very think, possible. I think there is more just Jeep hasn't been set up to do that. Yeah. I'd like to think they would have done it if they were able to, but at this point, I... I don't know whether to give them that benefit. Of yeah, the I know. <laughs> I think it's it's it is a very slippery slope. It's a bad practice, but I understand they're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place with this pretty major security flaw. I don't know. I just I feel like they could have handled it better, unless they have if they have some kind of authentication method, it would probably be okay. But I doubt that they've thought of that. If if they're having to resort like Mailing USBs, it's not first plan. That's not, you're like, all right, we're going to send out our updates via USB key. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's obviously a plan they came up with in response to this thing that they didn't see coming. So it's right. hard for them to have a, a system in place, but hopefully this will at least get their act in gear so that they will have a system in place for the next patch that's required. Because obviously as cars become computers or series of computers, you're going to need patches like Software yeah. isn't perfect right out of the box, and you need a better way to do it than mailing USBs. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing is that, you know, quote-unquote hackers are going to start targeting the software that is in vehicles yeah. once they become more ubiquitous, and it's like, hey, these are easy things to to hack into because these aren't software companies, these are car companies, and so the security is not going to be the same as with, you know, a PC or that kind of thing. And even with that, PCs are very targeted and things get through. So you have to consistently release patches. So yeah. it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of work with this and, and come up with a better solution. Yeah, better solution pretty soon because it's not a great practice at all. No. 
I think at maybe other than doing the letter, they should have like emailed out the patch and said, put this on a USB that, and then put it in. I, but even then it's like, that's yeah, fine. I guess then emails can be spoofed, right? I don't know. That's better. I would say, but it relies on people knowing how to download an attachment and put it on a USB. And as, as easy as that sounds, most people probably won't be able to do that or, or just won't just yeah. won't do it. Yeah. So, I get like for ease in terms of ease of doing it. If it's right, then that's it's a good solution. If assuming the mail works out the way you'd expect, which isn't necessarily a given, but yeah, it's not great overall. No. Uh, what's the other story you have here at uh, more on car AI? Yeah. So the other thing we talked about was the self-driving cars. We talked about the city that they've done with uh, University of Michigan, I believe it was to set up a area that you could test the, or not you people, just yeah. manufacturers could test their, their autonomous vehicles. So there's news this week that Toyota has actually teamed up with MIT and Stanford for AI research and have committed to investing $50 million over five years mm-hmm. uh, into the MIT and Stanford programs to work on uh, vehicle AI. So to be clear, this they're not saying that they're coming up with their own autonomous vehicle, but right. just to invest into research on AI technology with the uh, goal of making it safer and to, for, to allow people to live a more dignified and safe life. Um, kind of along the lines of using autonomous systems to enable elderly people to uh, be able to get around, even if they wouldn't be, be able to drive otherwise. Right. Um, so that's kind of the road they want to go down and make it more applicable to people, not just, you know, tech nerds who are like, wow, this is really cool technology, but to say this can be used, you know, kind of for more than just people who want it for the novelty. Right. I think that the nice thing about autonomous vehicles, the nicest part is that it enables you to build a fleet of these things that wouldn't necessarily be tied to a particular person. So you'd have it'd be like a one or two seat vehicle and you would just either call it and have it arrive wherever you are and take you wherever you need to go. Or you would just kind of go to a station like uh, big cities starting are starting to have these bike sharing programs. Like you could just grab a car and get in and go. You wouldn't need to actually own your own vehicle and that would kind of fit along the same thing. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't take up a huge amount of space on the road because it's just one or two people you wouldn't. You could have like an even you can even have an attachable storage module or something if you were going grocery shopping that you could mm-hmm. just like hitch it on and put your stuff in. You're yeah. not talking about highway speed, so it's not going to be hard to get around. Yeah, yeah, or even have like you know public transit where you have little shuttles that can just drive a set route yeah. back and forth and and monitor that. So, or even you know in airports they have the you know the senior shuttles that pick up people from the gate and bring them to the terminal yeah. and you can have that set up on an autonomous system as well. So I think there's a lot of application for autonomous vehicles other than just, this is cool and we're doing it cause we're able to. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. Yeah. What do you have for, for vehicle news? Uh, I just saw this, it, this is not a huge thing, so we don't need to get into it, but people were uh, talking about apparently the Tesla model X, the next generation uh, Tesla has been, I guess it was put up in some kind of, it looks like it's not public, but in some kind of beta 
configuring system. So you can go in and the same way you can with the Model S right now, you can go in and look at how much different options will cost you in terms of price. And people were looking at uh, the Model X, the one that's coming out soon, and seeing that it's very expensive, like it's not any cheaper than the current models. Um, but then almost immediately after this, this was September 2nd, almost immediately after, people were saying, well, this is the signature model. This is like the higher end. Right. So maybe like that, it's around the same as the Model S is for the for the same model, and that maybe this isn't actually the cheapest option. This is like one of the more expensive options. Uh, so people right away were just like, no, I don't think this is necessarily what you can expect in terms of if I want this car, this is how much I have to pay. You can probably pay less. You'll you'll just get a lower end version. But I'm I'm honestly more excited when I put this in here because I was like, yeah, Tesla, cool pricing everything like new new things are coming out but then i think it was maybe the next day uh i think it was elon musk tweeted out or something or sent out a press release saying that the model three the next sort of the affordable one the one that's for for the masses was i think it was scheduled to be released in 2017 he said two years away uh and i just like i'm honestly very glad that i'm now older at the age because if i was say 15 or 16 and i heard that there this was coming out in two years that two years would take forever now that i'm older and time seems to fly by the two years seems really really close and now i'm very Mm -hmm. excited like yeah if i buy a car it will probably be an electric car and assuming this makes it to canada on a reasonable time scale and and I haven't already bought a car by then, this is probably the car that I'll buy. If it's like thirty yeah. or forty thousand dollars, I'm gonna get it immediately. Yeah. Well that's that's the kind of car that you'd probably most people would probably finance or lease. Like they wouldn't a lot of people wouldn't like have a hard time dropping thirty or forty thousand dollars all at once without Right. Over some sort of payment yep. plan, right? So I think that makes it more appealing to people that you could have that cool car and not have to sink that much money into it all at once. Right. Um, and I guess now that we're talking about Tesla and, and buying, I don't think we talked about it on the show yet, but, and it's more, again, minor news, but Tesla actually just announced that they're looking to put in a dealership in Calgary. Ooh, that's yeah, exciting. So that'd be sweet. I definitely will test drive a Tesla Yeah. once, once I'm able to. Apparently you can schedule them. When I was looking, I think... At the time, there was only one in Montreal. But I was like, if we went to Montreal for the weekend, I could make an appointment and go drive one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that'll be that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. Do you know when that's supposed to happen? Uh, I think within a couple of years. Again, probably that same two years right. time frame or so. Probably so we, once the it, the lower model comes out, then they'll have them right available in the dealership. So yeah, hopefully they'll have superchargers more networked by then and, and some in Canada. I'm not sure there are any supercharger stations in Canada other than at the no. dealerships. Yeah. But I think we we had mentioned before that on a daily basis you shouldn't need you're, the actual exactly. charging stations. Yeah. Like you just plug in at home and you're fine. Yeah. And if even more so if you get that special charger yeah. that will supercharge it at home. Yeah. They were also saying on that note the Tesla three the reason that it's going to take so long is that it's going to require the fully functioning, the gigafactory we've talked about on many occasions. It's going to oh, need okay. to be at full capacity for them to actually make these along with their huh. existing fleet. Right. That's kind of what they're... And that one's to actually make the batteries, right? Yeah. That's yeah. what they're kind of waiting for now. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's that's it for our car follow-up. We have... There's a bunch of stuff that was announced. Uh, 
last week at what is it called IFA in yeah. Germany or in Belgium Berlin. or something? Yeah, Germany. Berlin. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to first I want to talk about something that uh, we have a conversation about this every once in a while. And there's a new. Not a new guy, I think public mobile. It sounds like they've been around for a while. Maybe their their current program is in a pilot, I think. So I'll give some background. Yeah. So public was a standalone pay-as-you-go uh, carrier. Mm-hmm. And then Telus purchased them, yeah. shut them down, and now they've relaunched under the Telus uh, banner as a pay-as-you-go brand of kind of the same way that Kudo is, kind of a budget yeah. Telus brand. Pay, uh, public Mobile is now a a la carte pay-as-you-go brand of Telus. Sure. So, yeah. That that's so so they're new but not new. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so the thing that's different about these guys is that I I still don't think and we can talk about this, but I still don't think it'll save you a lot of money, but it will allow you to have only what you want for your phone plan. You if you don't use any minutes, you don't need to buy any minutes. If you don't use text messaging or if you only use text messaging, you can only have that. And you were talking we when we were doing our little recap a couple episodes ago, uh, after the month off, you were talking about how you came here and basically you were like, can I get, like, how does, how does roaming work within Canada? And they're like, well, data is fine in all across Canada, but long distance, if you're using minutes, it's going to cost you no matter where you yeah. call because you're outside your city. Well, no, I could I could call local wherever I was. I could call Ottawa numbers, right? But you couldn't as a part of my plan. If anyone called you from Ottawa, it would cost, and if anyone yeah. called you from Calgary, it would cost. And you're yeah, just like exactly. Well, I'm just if data's free, I can use that, right? <laughs> and so this kind of plan would enable you to just purchase data if you if you had other methods. Which really, it's 2015. You should have other methods of sending text messages <laughs> and voice yeah. calls. Um, you could just pay for data and not have to worry about any of that. Yeah. So have you looked into any of these plan configurations yet? I did. I looked at, I looked at what like data only here. I'm on the site now. So I'll kind of show. So the way they have the site set up is actually kind of cool. So you pick, so there's four columns and on the first column, you pick how long of a plan you want. So they're pay as you go, but the plan or the, the coverage that you get is based on either a 10 day, a 30 day, or a 90 day uh, expiration. Okay. Uh, like most pay as you go plans, I think, are these days. Um, so, say if I want to do a 90 day with no talk, no text, but with data, then you have four options for data. You have either one gigabyte, four gigabyte, six gigabytes, or 12. Yeah. So, a 12 gigabyte plan that's good for 90 days, so averaging out to four gigabytes a month, is $150. Yeah. So divided up over those three months is about fifty bucks a month for twelve for four gigabytes, which isn't horrible. It's not like they're robbing you blind, but it's not ideal. Yeah. Per se. Um so then they also have add-ons that if you actually want to go over your allotted plan amount, then you can get add-ons for either two hundred megabytes of data for ten bucks, which is ridiculous. <laughs> or one gigabyte of data for 30 bucks, which is also ridiculous. It is. <laughs> so <laughs> wait, what were the options? Either 200 megabytes for 10 yeah. or one gigabyte for 30. Okay. Okay. So, and, and the add-ons don't expire. It's just kind of there as a buffer 
that you can kind of keep topped up. Okay. So yeah. if you buy a gigabyte of add-on for 30, it just stays there. It just, so, anytime you go over, it would bite into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't disappear after those 30 days, those right. 90 or 30 days. So, but, so when, when I'm excited about what public mobile is doing, it's not because they're offering crazy good deals, but mm. it's the, the concept is on the right track. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to what Google Fi or Project Fi yeah. does. Um, Google's a uh, carrier, I guess, carrier service that hasn't been released in Canada yet and only in select US markets. And only with one cell phone. And oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, very pilot yeah. right now. But it's the same concept of a la carte, but Project Fi only offers data. I believe. I think you can oh, get. No, you can get everything. No, I think maybe you can get. No, but you can you can do the same thing with this. Is yeah. that I think you can only you can if you wanted to you could only get data. The the thing about Project Fi that differentiates it from this, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, but well, I know Project Fi. You you also get access to a nationwide Wi-Fi network. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. Not not the entire nation, but like there's a bunch of Wi-Fi hotspots that will connect automatically to it. Yeah. Whereas this, I don't think it is partnered with anyone. No, not that I. Yeah, not that I'm I, not aware. that they advertise at all. No. That being said, I know Shaw has a pretty extensive Wi-Fi network partnered with various businesses that offer their their Shaw Go right. Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, it's different, but it's at least there. And that one they only offer to Shaw customers, so okay. you have to have that. But right. Yeah. As far as carriers offering Wi-Fi, there isn't anything of the sort. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think public mobile is definitely on the right track. Uh, actually, funny tangential story. So we're looking for a mobile hotspot, like an LTE hotspot or 4G hotspot for our uh, either tablet or computer because our tablet isn't 3G capable. Right. Um, so we're looking at different options available. And I had never looked at them before because I never had the need for it. I was aware of iPad plans, yeah. like the 3G iPads. and But I wasn't sure what type of plans were available for them looking into them i quickly very reala- quickly realized <laughs> that carriers were very much ripping people off yeah. with these with these plans <laughs> they they offer either 100 megabytes per month for 10 bucks mm-hmm. or 1 gigabyte for 30 yeah so there's nothing in between <laughs> So no one's going to get the 100 because, like, what are you going to do with the 100 megabytes? Yeah. Um, and then so then you're stuck with a 1 gigabyte for 30, which is ridiculous. And then you have to buy the hotspot on top of that. So it's there's nothing really available for someone who just wants an extra, like, bucket of data to have used for their either tethering or as a from a hotspot basis. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that FIDO on the plan that we're on, they don't allow tethering. Right, well, so, even for the hotspot. Oh no, no, for you're no, the hotspot's its own plan. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were actually at a T T booth wireless yeah. kiosk in the mall the other uh, yesterday, and Maria was talking to the rep there about, oh, you know, what kind of mobile internet plans do you have, whatever. And I don't know. They had various discussions. This guy didn't know what he was talking about. He said <laughs> something about, oh, you can't use a mobile hotspot unless you're tablets like 3g enabled and i'm like what that doesn't make any I was, sense <laughs> i wasn't there so i would have refuted all of yeah. these all he was saying them but after the fact he's like oh yeah he said i couldn't do this i'm like what do you mean it connects via wi-fi that's the There's, whole point that's the whole this. point <laughs> but and i guess at some point he said 
oh, be careful if you're going to tether because it eats into your data. Oh, what, what's your data package? And she's like, oh, I have unlimited. And he's like, what? They don't have that. I've never seen that. I don't think you have unlimited. Like he's arguing with right. her about whether she has, she's like, I do. And she's like, oh, let me look at your, look up your account. Looks it up. It, it won't tell me what data you have. Like, where's your data allotment? It doesn't tell me. That's weird. <laughs> and as you know, and I think our listeners have been made aware of, yeah. we are on the unlimited mobile browsing, which. Like from 2008, have, 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it doesn't really count as a data plan, but right. it does. So yeah. But so then another rep was like, "Oh no, I've I've seen them. She probably does. She has it." And then this other guy told Maria, "It's like, oh, I'll buy your SIM card for two hundred bucks." <laughs> and she's like, "No." <laughs> like, yeah. That's how badly people want unlimited data. Yeah. No kidding. But the carriers do not listen. It's worth well more, well over two hundred dollars. Oh, easily, it's worth at least five, if yeah. not more. I'd say. It's worth unlimited. It's priceless. Yeah. Um. So I, I just want to point out before we move past this, how humorous these plans are. So uh, my iPad right now, my I have a cellular one. It's on the, uh, the iPad data plan with Fido, and I basically have it because I, I don't want to not have it. It costs yeah. ten bucks a month, and if I don't use it, it's ten bucks. But if I if I ever use it, it pays for itself. And I've canceled it a couple times, but I always just keep coming back to it. And so basically, for ten bucks a month, that gets me one hundred and fifty megabytes. And if I go over the one hundred and fifty megabytes, it costs me an extra fifteen dollars, and so that brings me to a total of twenty five dollars for a gig. And then if I go over that one gig. It bumps it up to the five gigabytes for $35, which ends up at about $7 a gigabyte, which is better than current data plans, but still pretty terrible and yeah. a, a huge profit margin. But the funny thing is, if you want a mobile hotspot like you're talking about, there is also a plan where you can get a discount on the mobile hotspots, like the same way you would with a smartphone, like you get a subsidized, uh, right. they would give you this mobile hotspot for like 50 or 100 bucks. You'd be on a two-year plan. And those two-year plans cost $22 a month with a two-year plan. They get you 100 megabytes to start for $37. At the next, If you go over the 100 megabytes, you jump up to 500 megabytes for $37. If you go over that 500 megabytes, it jumps up to $52 for two gigabytes. And if you go over the two gigabytes, it jumps up to $72 for five gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I don't... I hope nobody is subscribed to that plan because you are getting so ripped off. <laughs> it's actually more expensive to get that five gigabytes for $72 than some, like th even their um, smartphone plan that comes with unlimited minutes and unlimited texts is like $90 for five gigabytes. It's crazy. It yeah. just, <laughs> it makes no sense. The, the whole mobile hotspot thing, people like phone companies are so scared of giving away any amount of data with only data and charging not an arm and a leg for it. They're so terrified that people will get used to that and then expect more of that. That I think almost, I honestly think this public mobile thing is a way for them to kind of test the waters. And it's why the plan, the prices are so high because if they were any better, everyone would go to this and phone companies would be forced to change their pricing model to only do this. Yeah. It th like this plan, it's great because like if you want a 90-day contract about 3 months, 
you can get 12 gigabytes for $150, which is not a great deal, but you have your phone turned on for three months. You have 12 gigabytes of data and then you can purchase more at extravagant prices. Yeah. Um, but it lets you have a connection. The only problem yeah. with it is that you, if you go over 12 gigabytes, which I obviously would, I would go over 12 gigabytes in one month. It lets you, it lets you be connected and use a reasonable amount of data. And yeah. that's why I think it is the future. And I just hope that phone companies see it that way and stop trying to like make money off of us by all means, make profit. That's, we want you to still be in business, but you're making like millions or billions of dollars in profit every three months. And it's to the detriment of all of us because every person has had at least one bad experience with a phone company or an internet company or, or some kind of internet service providing company. And it's because of the plans and the contracts that you, if you try to get out of, you end up having a frustrating experience no matter what. Uh, are we done ranting? Cause like I could probably go on this all day. <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've made the point. So to summarize public mobiles on the right path, but it can still use improvement. Yeah. I think, I think if I had to restrict myself to four gigabytes of LTE or cellular data, I could, I could, because I don't, I don't turn my phone onto Wi-Fi when I'm at home because I have no reason to. Right. So for the amount of data I use at home, I could probably balance out, like split it a little bit. So say if I use, yeah, 12 gigabytes in a month, I could probably cut it down to four gigabytes cellular and the rest of it being at home on my Wi-Fi. Right. So, because I think I did that experiment before in our early yeah, days you did. of the show. And I think I found that it was around the two to three gigabyte mark. Yeah. So I could get away with it if I had to, but it would be a lot of effort. Yeah. But I could. I watch too much internet video and download too many podcasts for that to be plausible for me. But in yeah. theory, if I worked at a place that had Wi-Fi, I could probably get away with a few gigabytes a month instead of like one gigabyte a day on average, which yeah. is what I'm currently using. But like, I don't want to not use Twitter right. because I have a limited data plan. I don't want to not use YouTube. I don't want to not download podcasts that are up. Like I, yeah. I want to have those things, and luckily we're on a plan that enables that. Yeah. It, but if I didn't have that, I would have to figure something else out. I could do it, but why would you want to? Yeah. Well, and same with updating apps. Like my yeah. apps are all set to auto update. So if I'm updating over cellular, I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. But it's it'd be annoying to have to wait till I'm at home to update it. It'd be, just, yeah, it'd be super annoying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. You, I assume, were paying attention in the last week to all the smartwatches and stuff that were announced, all the new phone. There were a couple new phones that were announced. Yeah. A couple things that came out, pieces of information about upcoming iPhones on Tuesday. Uh, you were talking to me during the week. I guess we'll start with smartwatches. You were talking to me. You said Damn. you found one that you think might be the one. You're waiting for second generation. They're yeah. here. What do you got? So I was quite let down by the 360, the second gen Moto 360. Mm -hmm. um, there was next to no differences in its actual capabilities or functionality. There were purely aesthetic changes 
they were good aesthetic changes, but not enough to push me to sell me on it. Right. Let's let's put it that way. And the price point put it way out of range because the last gen or the first gen came out close to two to three hundred, I believe, depending on what finishings and straps and that kind of stuff you got on it. But you could get a three sixty for about two hundred and fifty bucks when it first when the first gen came yeah. out. These new ones I believe are more three to four hundred closer to the four hundred mark. Yeah. If you wanted to get it. Taking notes from Apple with their their jewelry focused yes. watch. Not that that's all they're good for, but part of it a big part of Apple's is they want it to look very nice. It's fashion, yeah. Yeah. In addition and to the Moto three yeah, the new second gen three sixties, they do look very nice, but not enough to they don't offer enough to push me in that direction. Right. Um they announced or gave more details on the new Zen watch. Um, I didn't get a ton of details on that because I got most of the info I needed when they first announced it last year or earlier in this year. Um, The new one that everyone's been talking about recently has been the new Samsung Gear S2 lineup. And all the reviews that I've seen or the first impressions, I guess, that I've seen on it have been very positive, which is for for it to be Samsung and have positive first impressions, <laughs> I I take that for like wow, this must be a very good for watch. A Samsung watch, they, the phones yeah. get reviewed pretty well. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. But but the watches have so far been like, oh, another Samsung watch. Yeah. Like, yeah. But no, this one's actually had very good reviews, uh, mainly because they've kind of found that perfect, so far perfect balance between being smart and being a watch. With the with the emphasis on it, it maintains its watchness, yeah. But also integrating the smart capabilities quite well so far that people had on the first impressions, not like strict reviews, because right. no one's actually gotten a review unit yet. Yeah. But with their first impressions of them, they've they've been impressed by it, and you know, the watch does run Tizen, um, and but that being said, it will function with other Android phones. Right. So it doesn't. In the past, the Tizen watches have had to be used with Samsung phones, whereas this one, they're opening up the gates to all Android phones being able to work with it. Yep. Uh, with the exception of some apps, won't have the same functionality, obviously, because some apps are Samsung only. Yeah. Or utilize some of the Samsung Tizen-based functionality to to communicate. But I think for the most part, the functionality will get preserved even if you're not using a Samsung phone. Um, and the watch looks very nice. They have some sport versions, and they have a, a more classic version, and they also apparently have a 3G version right. that hasn't been given too much details on, but that has been said it'll be released a bit later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, because the other 3G-capable watch was the uh, the Samsung Gal- Samsung Gear S, uh, which was their previous offering, which is a bit bigger. Um, it still had its own kind of nice look, but it was quite large and wasn't as subtle as these ones are. Right. Uh, so I think depending on the price point that these ones come in at and the reviews, like the actual functionality reviews that they get, this would probably be the one that I'd be looking at uh, being my first smartwatch. Right. Sweet. Um, yeah. So how how where are you on the smartwatch bandwagon right now i am still in purgatory i guess you would say in that 
it'd be really cool to have one and I'd especially like to just try it out for two weeks, see kind of how I like it. One of the, the biggest things that I think will be really cool to have is the camera shutter functionality. Like obviously it, it'd be cool to have a watch and all the fitness stuff really kind of appeals to me at the moment, but just the ability to take photo and video not needing to be actually touching or holding the phone, I think is a really cool thing that hasn't really been talked about much, but would benefit me a lot. Like there, I have a lot of situations where I think, oh, that'd be a cool picture, but setting it up and actually taking it would be challenging unless I had some kind of remote shutter. So I think that would mm. be really helpful to have. Okay. But that being said, I've been talking a lot um, with Julia about getting a watch and saying like, Oh, you know, wait until Christmas and then maybe we'll see like, it'd be kind of a Christmas gift kind of thing. I don't really want to wait that long because by then it'll almost be time for the next generation one to come out. Right. And all of this talk about the new iPhone getting a 4k camera and also a probably 1080 front facing camera appeals more to me like they're talking about an upgraded front-facing camera i right now it's 720 and very good quality so i would think that we're at the point now that a 1080 camera would fit as the front-facing one if if the other one's going up to 4k i think that is a more compelling next thing to want like I've, i've always upgraded iphones mostly because of the camera and so i think that in combination with, I think it'd be really cool to try the iPhone, whatever, 6S Plus, the larger one. Mm-hmm. I've been basically since about a month after getting the original one, I was just kind of like, it, it wasn't knowing that I would love a bigger one. It was just like, if I had this bigger one, could I also sell my iPad and then just have one thing that is a decently sized screen, but I don't need a phone and a tablet? So at the moment, in light of all that new stuff, my na- my thought now is like, do I even need, like, obviously, I don't think I need a smartwatch, but do I even want one when I could have, for the same amount of money, I could sell my tablet and my phone and get a bigger phone? Right. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking now. Yeah, I've kind of started thinking the same thing. Like, I don't know, maybe we want to, talk about it now yeah or at least I'll, I'll mention it but the the new windows phone that acer announced actually i don't think we even had that scheduled to talk about it, it. it was it was in with this it was the new new oh, stuff okay yeah yeah um so yeah so acer announced the uh is the what was it called does it even matter the acer up here ace phone <laughs> uh were they the ones that had the yeah, pad so it's, phone? Oh, that was Asus. It's called the. It's called the. No, that's. Oh, that's Asus. Yeah. yeah. So it's the Jade Primo. Great name. Calling it really good. It is. It is a very good name. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you guys watch Syrup Cast, uh, hosted by Dan Bader and Co. for Mobile Syrup, um, but they talked about one of the guys who was watching the show asked a question about this phone. And Dan thought that this guy was trolling because he thought he was making up the name. Yeah. Dan's like, I didn't even hear about this. It was during the Microsoft keynote that I guess was being given that morning. Right. So 
granted, yeah, you wouldn't have time to hear about it, but just the name itself is like, what? It's like, anyway, side story. Yeah. Um, so it's called the Jade Primo, but it's going to be, it's the first phone, Windows 10 phone announced, and it's also going to work with Continuum. Yeah. And I know we were impressed by how the Continuum system worked yeah. during the keynote that it was announced at. So it's it's very slick. And this phone is actually going to be sold with kind of a package, like a PC package. So it's going to be sold with a mouse and a keyboard and a dock. Mm-hmm. So as long as you have your own monitor to hook up to the dock, you can use this phone as a PC as well. Right. Because the way Continuum works is it will sense what type of uh, system that you're using and it will configure the UI to accommodate whatever screen or whatever that you're working with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can just plug this into the dock, plug the dock into a monitor and use it as a PC and then pull the phone out and continue using it as a phone without having to sync anything because it's all on the same device. So seeing this type of device and, you know, as well as just the new, you know, the LGs and the Samsung devices that are being uh, rolled out, like I still have a Nexus 4 from what three years ago at this point yeah but i'm ready for a new phone so if it was choosing between a new phone or a smartwatch i'd probably go with a new phone right same way as you because again like yeah i could use a nice camera upgrade uh you know some additional functionality that kind of thing you know a bigger screen like you're saying to have to to kind of fill that gap between tablet and phone yeah Uh, because the nexus 4 relative to today's phones it is actually a smaller screen yeah because screens these days are closer to four and a half to five inches, if not higher. Yep. Um, so yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to have a new phone, especially one that was more cutting edge technology, like they're announcing these days. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, as far as smartwatches announced, I'm I've been I haven't been disappointed by the second gen smartwatches yet. Like the Hawaii watch has was also very nice, but again, that's in that four hundred dollar price point. Um, or Huawei, I think is ways pronounced. Yeah, Huawei, Huawei. Watch. Um, it's got the circular, you know, minimal bezels, similar to what the 360 had, but it doesn't have the so-called flat tire that the 360 has. <laughs> right. Uh, which people are fans of. Yeah. Not having. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff out there with the second gens, and I think we're on the right track with them with the integrated 3G functionality, but. It's it, yeah, it may not be enough to have me go with a smartwatch versus upgrading a phone. Right. Yeah. I mean, it it's gonna be interesting for sure seeing all this new stuff and how how people actually adopt it. But another thing that it, that reminded me of is that we we were talking about getting an actual kind of either sort of DSLR type mirrorless camera or uh, a video camera. Like we're talking about possibly having a child in the next little while and it'd be good to have a really good camera. And so it might be an easier sell to be like, yeah. I'll get, I'll, the only thing I'll get is I'll get this new phone that will also double as a really, really good video yeah. camera. Yeah. I, I'm i sure you've already had this discussion, but I'll second the argument for having a very good phone with a good camera versus having a separate yeah. device to take video. Because we bought, we have a point and shoot um, camera wise is better than the cameras on our phones, but not enough to make a point to pull it out. Right. Like, and like a DSLR is, is very large Yeah. and a lot of the videos and photos you take, especially with kids, is very impromptu yeah. and not planned. 
So family vacations are a bit different, but even then you're going to find that it's a lot more convenient to just carry your phone around with you than yeah. have a dedicated camcorder or camera. I mean, that, that ties in well to my, uh, my, the post I wrote on Friday about my honeymoon and the photos I took with it. There were a couple of instances, actually, maybe even more than a couple, where it was like, hey, Rob, take a picture of this. And like, all I have to do is take my phone out of my pocket, like hit the home button, swipe up on the screen to get to the camera shortcut and like i'm taking a picture within a second and a half with a yeah. dslr you'd either you have to be either holding it already ready to take a picture or you'd be like oh you know like the moments passed i didn't take it out of my bag fast enough like it's it's really nice having a very very good camera in your pocket that is easily yeah. accessible rather than having like a dedicated thing it also it, i mean there there are cameras now that will make this easier and things like Google Photos auto backup when you plug your camera in also make it easier. But for, for most people, the way they use their cameras, they take these photos and then they just get lost. Yeah. But if they're on your, like you just never look at them again or they go into a hard drive somewhere and that's it. But yeah. if you have a phone, it's a lot easier to just like select a photo and send it to family or send it to a photo album or whatever. Like it's a lot easier to do that. Yeah, and they have they have cameras now on SD cards that, you know, hook up with Wi-Fi yeah. and, you know, you can do them. They have Android cameras that have full Android UIs on them. Mm -hmm. But it's like you may as well just get a good phone with a good camera. Yeah. Like at that point. So it's, yeah, I don't think, I think cameras are, point and shoots are going by the wayside. I think cameras will always be, obviously always have a place within the photography community like for professional photography. But even there, you're seeing a lot of photographers, you know, buy lenses for their iPhones or that kind of yeah. thing. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's an art of itself to take iPhone photos. Right. Like that's kind of its own skill. And photographers will take pride in how well they can take iPhone photos. Yeah. So I think, yeah, they have their own place. But I think for, you know, the family that wants to have pictures of their kids or just people who take pictures around town or on vacation, just, Get a good camera. Get a good phone with a good camera. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge advocate of that. Uh, do we want? I just want to mention we don't have to talk about all the the, the Apple stuff because we have quite a bit to get to. But one thing I do want to say: the stuff you're you're wanting to talk about. So, yeah. Um, the one thing that I wanted to say: there are two points which I've heard in the last few days about the new iPhones coming out. One of them I already mentioned is that they likely going to have a 4k camera on them and another is that the base model of iphone the newest iphone which has this 4k recorder could still be 16 gigabytes and recording 4k video on a 16 gigabyte phone is not going to go well like that's it 30 seconds of film is going to be like a gigabyte how are you ever going to record 4k video on that phone you're going to get like you have like four minutes worth of video on it and it'll be full I just, what I think might happen is that the, maybe some of the models will be 16 gigabytes, like the lesser ones, but I really hope this is the year. Last year they did 16 gigabytes, 64, and then 128. I really think this is the year that maybe there will still be some models, even some new models that have 16, but I think that the higher end ones, the highest end ones will probably start at 32 gigabytes. I'm going to throw that out there. They plant, they kind of moved to that this past year, but I think they're going to fully go starting at 32 this year, 
mainly because of the 4K one. Maybe only the, like the 6S Plus or whatever will have a 4K camera and maybe that one will start at 32. But I really think there's no way that they can ship a 4K camera that only has 16 gigabytes of memory. It doesn't make any sense. How about, would you entertain Apple having expandable memory? No, of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Even Samsung got rid of their expandable memory. What's that? Samsung doesn't have expandable memory anymore in the newest ones. Everyone's going away from that. (laughs) But you're having 4K video, throw a 256 gigabyte memory card in there. An (laughs) SSD. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't see that Not happening. Not an SSD, like a regular SD card. Yeah. yeah. That that would uh, deflate their margins very seriously if they wanted to do that and kill the thinness of the phone. I don't think they would do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it's impossible. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, though. Yeah. I didn't even think about that when you were talking about the 4K. I looked up, I did a bit of research and it turns out based on the format, there's a couple different 4K formats that take up different amounts of space, but people were basically saying it's going to, if you want to have more than a minute of video, it's going to be several gigabytes in size. Yeah. And you just can't like my 16, when I was taking 1080 video with my 16 gigabyte phone two years ago, or like a little over a year ago, I guess with the 5S that was it, like it filled up immediately within a week or two of getting it i had to start deleting things and just can cycle through deleting all the biggest things on my phone like having 64 gigs i have not had to delete videos yet the only time i've deleted them is when i was like all right let's clear this out because my my camera roll is getting cluttered because there's so much stuff in here but like i don't have to worry i can download apps with impunity my ipad which is languishing now my ipad 4 from like three years ago is 16 gigabytes and that is painful so, but 64 gigabytes, like it gives you the breathing room that 16 gigabytes gave you four years ago. Yeah. My phone's 16 and I'm constantly having to uh, trim my app yeah. allotment because apps seem to grow in size on a weekly basis yeah. due to their, either cache <laughs> yeah. or just updates and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've actually, lately I've been better because my last farm out, like my last trimming of apps i kind of took them off took the ones off that i didn't use yeah, since i yeah, downloaded yeah. them uh but yeah it's been it's i'm always on that edge of <laughs> yeah. running out of room i always have less than a gigabyte of free space yeah on there another thing actually before we move on is i was thinking about with the whole apple tv possibly finally being announced it sounds like it's really happening this time um i'm, I'm buying an apple tv if it comes out it doesn't matter what it has i mean it does kind of matter what it like has. talk about like a tv made by apple no 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 like not... a, a set top box that is not oh. their like 2007 design oh okay just a new apple yeah. tv right um because our tv is a smart tv technically but really the only apps that actually work are netflix and youtube which it, it's fine but it's not mm-hmm. it's not good enough the okay the dlna streaming is not very satisfying like i I want a, like a TV that I can put Plex on or some some sort of system yeah. to manage all the stuff I have on my computer. Like yeah. we were trying to show a slideshow of our honeymoon photos uh, to some friends on Friday. And it just, there was the only way I could do it was to download a Google Photos album onto a USB or onto my computer and then put it on a USB and plug it into the TV. There was no other way to get the photos there. And I was like, this, right. it shouldn't be this way. It's just a screen with a computer in it. Right. So, have you tried the Chromecast? 
I have not tried the Chromecast, although that would be a fairly cheap option. Yeah. I'd recommend trying it before jumping and investing in an Apple TV. Granted, given that you're already, you know, neck deep into the Apple ecosystem, it does make sense for you to have the Apple TV. You're right. I should get the Chromecast. I I mean, if it were up to just me, we would already have three. Rob, it's like 30 bucks. I know it's 30 bucks. (laughs) I've made that argument. You spend more on a decent, decent lunch. You do. Yeah. No, I agree. Like I said, if it was just up to me, we would already have yeah. more than more than we have TVs of them. <laughs> but yeah, so I was thinking about putting a game like Angry Birds onto a TV, similar to the way the Wii U does, where ever like there's in the, with the Wii U, there's only one gamepad and everyone else has controllers. But if you had people gathered in a living room around a TV that was they're playing a game like something like Angry Birds, but playing either against each other or on a team. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really cool. Like we're all used to now we have, everyone has their phone or their tablet and you're kind of lounging around playing or reading or whatever, totally separately. Having a thing that connects to the TV that everyone can also connect to, I think it'd be really cool in terms of sort of unifying the living room again. Yeah. They do have that. Like a Wii U? No, like the Google TV and the Oyo box and those types of things are they like have you seen people buying them i've never used one but i know that they exist and they have that functionality because i know that a lot of google tvs and android tvs have come out and they've all gone away very soon after yeah the one that's out now maybe i'll put it as a follow-up for next week yeah but there there are at least two devices that allow you to do that. Okay. Though I don't know which games they work with. Right. Like you're using Angry Birds as an example, but they do have games that you can do that with. Right. Like ones that are gen- like conventionally multiplayer on your phone sure. would also be multiplayer through there, but you're playing the same one. Okay. So I'll I'll put that yeah. as a note for follow up sure. for next week. We talked about like I mean I had a long time ago I had a Roku. And it had an Angry Birds thing on it. And the Roku remote was actually an infrared thing like the Wii U is. And so you're actually able to control with your, with the remote. You're able to like in 3D space pull back on the remote while holding the button and then let it go and it'll fling the slingshot. Like that kind of thing is really cool. But I just think that's either a one player game or you're handing the controller around. I just think yeah. it'd be cool to have the kind of thing that connects to multiple smartphones and everyone can play together. And you're saying that that is a thing, but I'm assuming that doesn't work with iPhones or with it. Like it works with uh, Android phones. Yeah. It's, it's an Android based yeah. system right now. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll follow up on which specific systems it is, but I remember reading about them like, Oh, that's kind of cool. I don't have a use for that because that's not how, like we don't just have people over right. and hang out and want a game to play. But yeah. that I was like, that would really work for that type of setting. So sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's we'll follow up on it. Okay. Cool. Anything else you wanted to say about the stuff coming out in the last week or next week? Uh no, I think that pretty much covers it uh as far as the big stuff. Like this IFA well, I guess did we want to talk about the Samsung Internet of Things? That's that's what we'll talk about now, yeah. the new Internet of Things okay. stuff that have come out. Yeah. Okay. 
Did you want to start with a Samsung one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, so this is, again, a fairly low-key announcement, it seemed like, because um, I only saw, I think, one one uh, tech journal cover it, uh, maybe two. But the... Uh, or sorry, it's not Samsung, it's LG that announced this. They have a new... They call it SmartThink. Think with a Q. Right. SmartThink sensor that you can attach to old appliances... They they say compatible old compliances. I don't know old appliances. I don't know what compatible means, but I'd imagine it just refers to appliances that aren't already smart. You can attach this sensor to it. Yeah. And it will make them smart. Uh, the examples that I read were you could put this in your fridge and it would tell you when your food has gone bad or is going bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that part works. Yeah, that'd be weird. That's, I don't. It's not like food can tell the sensor, but right. anyway, maybe it has like a methane sensor on it and can <laughs> tell the level of stank in there. That would be awesome. Um, that you could attach the sensor to your uh, dryer and it could tell you when your load is done, which is pretty self-explanatory of how that would work. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's There's very skimpy details on how it actually works, but apparently it's, it's enough to... Uh, kind of continually make your house smarter and uh, yeah eventually you're going to start seeing all these appliances integrate with you know kind of a central hub within your home either with like home kit or yeah uh nest or that kind of thing so it's, it's it's good to see companies advancing towards this and kind of introducing more things that if people don't want to jump and get like a smart dishwasher you can just buy a thing that integrates with your existing appliances and mm-hmm. kind of gives you that extra smart aspect to it instead of having to dump a bunch of money into new appliances. Uh, because, yeah, I think they're seeing that, you know, a lot of companies have smart appliances, but they're not getting the traction they hoped probably because, you know, appliances will generally have a 10-year life or 10 to 15-year life cycle. But by then, these smart appliances will have, you know, multiple iterations Mm-hmm. of releases so it's kind of like in the meantime if you're in that in-between phase where your appliances aren't bad enough to upgrade but you still want the smart aspect mm-hmm. you can put these on there and smarten them up right um yeah i think a lot of people were saying that the new google router could function as sort of a central hub for this type of system right so yeah well we'll see where it goes and if you start seeing more fully kind of unified integrated systems yeah i think there are a lot of people who would hesitate to purchase another 1200 dollars washer dryer set just to have a smart thing yeah but if they could get a smart thing for 50 or 100 dollars they might consider doing that yeah like lately bria has been saying you know oh man i wish i had you know i wish our our dryer could tell me when it was done right or a washer right because you put the wash in there and if you let it sit for a couple hours, like maybe not a couple, but say if you let it sit overnight, yeah. then it's like, you got to rewash them right. because <laughs> they kind of got musky. Yeah. So, but yeah, if you had, if you had a sensor that could send you a notification when your load was done, then that's, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, the, the argument that people make against that is like, you're just being so lazy. The other lazy thing you could do is look at the washer when you start it and be like, set a timer for yourself for whenever that number of minutes is and so even if that's not exact even that's it's not letting you know i'm done at this exact moment 
it would at least be like, oh, now I have an indication that it's either done or almost done or has just finished. Right. Which, I mean, this is a very first world problem-y kind of <laughs> thing to be like, oh, I wish my dryer could just tell me yeah. when it was done. It's, it's, it's the first worldly, first worldly, first world problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. But it, it, it's the kind of thing that we're moving towards. And, and I think it's more yeah. applicable thinking of the kind of the refrigerator example where it knows that some food in your fridge is turning based on some kind of Something, sensor yeah. that would it, like, it would have to be some kind of gas or at least some kind of particulate that would show up in food that's expiring. Yeah. So I can't think of any other way that it would do it. Like it wouldn't use visual sensors or anything. It wouldn't be like, Oh look, I see some mold on that bread. You got to get rid of it. I think it would be, it has to be smell based or at least gas yeah. based. Well, my other thought was if, like if the sensor, if you had to put in like, oh, this this kind of food and this is what I'm putting in right now. And then it just sets a timer for itself and then reminds you that it's been sitting there for like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> I wouldn't buy a sensor for that. Because that, that's not really a sensor. That's just an alarm. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that that's another thing that could very easily be accomplished by something else. There, Yeah. Do you guys have uh, any Loblaws re- or grocery stores in Alberta yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like Superstore. Okay. Um, our, the ones in Ontario, at least, have uh, this new click and collect thing where you can go on the Loblaws website, order all the food you want, and then basically you – I don't forget. I don't know if you click buy or if you click ready. Order or something. Yeah. Uh, but then they'll do the grocery shopping for you, put all that stuff you ordered into a bin and then put it in a, frid- a refrigerating unit. And then you select the time that you want to go pick it up and then you just go get it. It sounds amazing. It does sound amazing. <laughs> and I was, when I saw that it was, I think on peak hours, like 5 to 7 p.m. on weeknights, yeah. it's $5. But any other time it's $3 to do, like, Right. That's well worth every minute of my time. Oh, easily. Yeah. But I haven't done it yet because it's like in your schedule, you're like, oh, you know, we got to go to the grocery store and get the groceries. It, even if it would take less time to open up a web browser and get it and then go drive over there and pick it up. It's not in, it's not built into your mind to do that. And initially it would take a long time. Like I, I have to assume I haven't looked too much into the actual like pickup or not pickup system, the ordering system where, where you actually choose the groceries you want. But I assume it would take an initial investment of time to go in and make your order. And then the next time you wanted to do it, you'd be like, okay, start with that list of things that I always get, the staples, and then be able to remove and add stuff to change it. Right. Yeah. But I figure that will take at the, at least at the start when the learning curve is high, that it'll take about as much time the first time. So you're not necessarily saving time, but then subsequent visits, you'll save more time. I like that. Yeah. That system, I cannot wait to try it out. It yeah. just seems amazing. Well, grocery delivery isn't new. No, like grocery had, delivery is not new. I know co-op has had grocery delivery for a while, and then Amazon has their own grocery delivery service yeah. in the States. Um, but that's cool about this order and then come pick it up. Yeah. That's, Pairing those two yeah. systems, which will happen eventually, if not very soon... Even for double the price of the pickup, like for $10, you can order groceries online and they will show up like in an hour. That's amazing. 
Yeah. I would pay like ungodly amounts of money for that to be just the thing that happens. Like even you could even have it set up. You could build grocery carts full of groceries for people and you'd be like, oh, I want the healthy meal plan. And it would be like, okay, we'll put that together for you. It's going to have lots of fruits and vegetables. You can add a bag of chips if you want as your like snack treat and then just hit order. But like it would take no work and you would have healthy food delivered right to you. Like Amazon has been working on that kind of thing in the States where you order produce and it'll be shipped to you the same day or within an hour or whatever it is. But we haven't seen a grocery store really try to do that. Yeah. All in one. Well, there's, there's services that do like a meal planning service. There are where, and then they'll, they'll include the recipe with it as well. There's a company called blue apron that uh, advertises on podcasts that does that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So those, those kind of services are cool too. And I've seen varying reviews on, you know, they either love it or hate it depending on what recipe they get at that time. Yeah. But I think, yeah, for people who don't really know where to start for cooking and, are lazy, I guess, then it, it works. Yeah. And it, it's not even laziness for me. It, it's like efficiency. Yeah. I want to be able to actually go and spend my time, like spend 10 minutes putting together an order and hitting order, then wandering around a grocery store trying to like find that one thing. If I can search for yeah. Like if I'm looking for cashews, I can just type in cashews and like put them in the cart with one click. I don't have to wander around the grocery store looking for wherever the cashews are. Right. I know I know where the cashews are. I get them all the time. They're delicious. But that's a that's a bad example, but there are examples like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for me like when I do groceries, I know Emma likes coming to do groceries. Yeah. So that's that's kind of its own thing and I guess like for me I'm okay doing it because I enjoy doing that with her, but yeah, if I'm there's some things like I know what is it I always have trouble finding? It's like those items that could be in two yeah, places. Oh like yeah. you don't know or if it's like a condiment could be in four or like places. a food item. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and but and there's not listed on the listing under the aisle number. So it's like, I don't know where it is. Yeah. We all have a few things like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. There's, there was another story here in terms of internet of things that you want to talk about as well. What is that? Yeah, it's, it's almost a follow-up to the story that we had. It was in Calgary where they said, oh, there's a new microgrid system for Calgary. But then it turns out they're just putting batteries inside buildings. Yeah. And we're like, well, that's stupid. So this is an actual microgrid system that this company, PowerStream, uh, it's a power, or, yeah, power services provider in Ontario. And they've installed... Is Ontario or is it Pennsylvania? Those are very different things. That's a very good question. I think it was Ontario. Uh, Whoa, that is a long place name. Panatangashin, Ontario. Yeah, okay. I I remember the P part and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's Ontario. Okay. (laughs) So it's uh, Panatangashin in Ontario has a new microgrid set up by this company called PowerStream that they're putting in a grid of batteries to serve a community of 400 businesses, I believe. Yeah, 400 utility customers uh, with a backup system. Mm -hmm. And the idea being that when the main grid goes out, this grid will kick in and keep them going. So the example of a customer that uses it is a butcher. 
Mm-hmm. So obviously for them, they have a meat locker as well as the display fridges that they rely on to keep their product good. Yeah. So if the power goes out, then they either lose all their inventory or they have to find another backup place to store all their product. So, and this is obviously battery-based backup, so it's not reliant on you know the existing grid being active. So uh, it's apparently the first of its kind in North America. Uh, you know, obviously businesses have their own backup batteries. But this is the first grid that serves you know 400 customers. Uh, that is just kind of always there if needed, right. not kind of the small scale add a battery to a building kind of thing, which yeah. I think most batteries or most buildings do have backup battery power yeah. of some sort. Uh, but I think now that Tesla has been in the news with their own power wall batteries that uh, you're going to start seeing a lot more people thinking about their backup power systems and maybe more of these grids come in. Yep. Um. And, you know, hopefully, yeah, you know, you'll start seeing communities kind of have either, you know, solar solar systems that charge batteries that offer backup power, that kind of thing. So just more alternative sources of power that you can kind of get away from the general utility system and start being more self-sufficient. Right. Um, so, yeah, this isn't, you know... M- you know, very internet of things or technology focused, but it's, it's kind of moving towards the future of energy and power. And yeah, I'd like to start seeing a future where, where people can start putting batteries into their own homes and putting solar panels and just kind of managing their own. Yeah. Their own power needs. Yeah. Like they, they, they shouldn't have to rely on a utility company and pay the rates and, and all that kind of stuff because Every company's trying to make money and they're going to take as much advantage of their customers as they can yeah. to make the most money. And like in Calgary, at least there's really only one provider that anyone ever uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's direct energy. That's an alternative, but people generally don't really go with them and they have kind of a bad reputation. They do. Yeah. So direct energy is one of those companies that keeps changing their name because <laughs> they keep getting bad reputations. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was cool about this, is there two dedicated systems. You can either be connected to the grid or you can manually disconnect from the grid with this power stream. And so that makes me think like in places like Ontario where there's on peak and off peak charges, like it costs more for electricity if you're using it during peak hours. Yeah. If you had a solar array or some, some kind of um, renewable energy generation, you could switch to backup for the on peak. So you'd be paying you'd be using your own energy, like maybe even solar energy from this backup system while you'd be paying more. And then when it switches back down to low cost, you'd switch it back on. Right. I think that'd be kind of cool just to manage your own energy needs, but also be able to save money when the province would charge you more for electricity. Mm -hmm. It might not be worth that effort, but I think as time goes on, prices are going to keep going up. If you have your own system that you're already paying into, you're going to want to use that electricity, which is cheaper than than using the grid as it stands now. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, there's a story here. This is kind of just, we, we talk on and off about um, battery and about browser usage. Uh, one of the stories I came across this week from Ars Technica, I mean, Ars Technica covered it. I think there were probably a few um, groups that talked about this, but apparently Google Chrome's browser 
well, just updated to version 45 on the main uh, stream. And they're touting a lot, um, greatly reduced memory usage with Chrome. That's a, th- a thing that people have complained about quite a bit. People who have tens or even hundreds of extensions installed being like, why is my computer so slow? Chrome is bogging down like my 100 Chrome tabs and my 500 <laughs> extensions are making my computer run slowly. So Chrome, I, I don't think it's without any faults in terms of this, but basically what it does is it separates every tab and every extension into its own process that is separate. And so it uses, they each use their own RAM, which is great because if some, if one tab crashes, it will isolate the problem to that tab. So the tab will crash, but Chrome will stay open. All the other stuff will continue to work. And so the newest version of Chrome has apparently focused pretty deeply on reducing memory usage overall. And Basically, one of the things that is they're working really hard on with this kind of thing is with Flash. So Flash, Adobe Flash is some very old technology that is falling out of favor basically because it uses so much energy and so much of your computer's resources. And so what it's doing is doing things like automatically turning off Flash or reducing its memory use if it's not visible. Uh, Things like only loading videos in background tabs like a tiny bit, like maybe loading the video after a while, but not necessarily buffering it a lot or not auto playing it. So what it would do is reduce the memory use. If you open like 40 tabs, it's not going to load all 40 tabs fully while you're trying to do something else. It would maybe load them more slowly or load a couple of them. It will load sites more if you've u- recently used a site, it's more likely to keep it in memory. If you haven't used a site for a while, it, it's more likely to dump some of the memory it doesn't need. Uh, I have an extension that does a similar thing right now, so I'm I'm intrigued to maybe turn it off for a while and see how the memory impacts are. It, this this uh, extension I have, which I can put a link to actually, because it's it's quite nice. It's called the Great Suspender, uh, and what it does is it lets you set a time limit on tabs which i have it set to 30 minutes after 30 minutes if a tab a isn't playing video uh isn't pinned isn't uh doesn't have open form fields like there's there are a lot of different things you can do if it doesn't have any of those and it's in the background it's just going to suspend it it'll basically dump its memory or like i don't think it dumps its memory but it like it caches it releases all the free memory and then moves on with its day so like i can have 50 tabs open it'll save them all but then after half an hour they'll all all the memory will will be recovered and basically what it does is if over the course of a day i use i open a bunch of tabs and then i try to go back to the first one i was using right at first thing in the morning and i find that it just doesn't it just doesn't load it's either super unresponsive or something like that because it's completely out of memory whereas now all the other tabs that I had been using, like I would click that new tab, it would have to, it would take a second to pop up, but then it would just be fresh, like because there's nothing else that's being used. I, I really like it, and I'm hoping that the Chrome memory system will start to work in a similar way to this, maybe with a little bit more smarts, because this is kind of all or nothing. It doesn't necessarily get rid of resources. It doesn't need. It just kind of shuts the page down completely for the time being until you click on it again. But I really, really like this idea and chrome does use a lot of memory so anything they can do to reduce it without any other negative effects is 
I'm happy to see. Yeah, it, it when you first started describing the changes, it reminded me of, I believe what they're doing with the new version of Android, how the apps will work the same way. So if you have background apps open, it won't dedicate memory to them. Mm -hmm. It will only dedicate memory to the ones you're using. Whereas, and then when you go back to them, it'll just re reinitiate the memory dedication, right. but it'll manage the memory better than trying to keep all the background apps kind of running kind of as fully as possible. Whereas they'll change it so that it's only dedicating memory to the app that you're using. Right. Um, so, and what you're describing with the tabs, it sounds like they just kind of convert the tab instance to a bookmark. Yeah, And then when you go that. back to it, it just kind of reloads the page, yeah. like as if you just clicked on it, but it will still show up as a tab, so you know it's there. Mm -hmm. But when you go back to it, it just kind of reloads the page. Yep. Right, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that's that's probably pretty good. Like, I know for me, like, it's good to it have a time limit, because I'll usually open, say I'm reading an article, then I'll, like, click a tab to open it, and if it's say like yeah, a video I want buffered, then I'll just go back to the tab while it buffers, yeah, and then go back to it once it's been for a little bit, right? Or like I do that on my phone all the time. I'll be reading something, then open a new tab because I know I want to read it later. Yep, and then I'll finish reading the article and then I'll go back. Now is that because Pocket was down for a really long time that you no. had to open? I a actually new didn't even read. I didn't notice that it was down. <laughs> I kept reading that it was down. I'm like, I'd never experienced any instances of it being down. But strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah. It, it is it's very good to see them focusing on memory because people aren't necessarily upgrading their memory as fast as they maybe should my computer yeah. has 12 gigs of ram so i'm not too concerned about that kind of thing but like my work computer i definitely noticed it all the time when i would just have a bunch of tabs open which is something that like i would i would need to refer back to things but i didn't need all the pages to be loaded all the time so it's it's the kind of thing where if you go to lunch, like a, a, a tab like TweetDeck, which is what I use to read Twitter most of the time on a desktop computer, it just kind of fills in. Like all the, all the columns just keep running with new tweets in them and that can fill up the memory really quickly. So if I'm not actually looking at it, like if I say I've gone to lunch, that tab will suspend. I don't need to see all of the tweets running down when I'm not looking at it. But, and when I come back, I click on it and it just loads fresh and there's no massive memory usage it's it's really helped okay. my my computer use hmm. to have it built into chrome and to do it smartly i think is a really good idea yeah all right uh next one you have here this is one that i didn't really see but sounds really interesting uh next gen video i guess yeah well we've talked about competing uh standards mm -hmm. when it comes to yeah. you know either Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or Blu-ray or, or uh, discs reading, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess a couple companies, this article mentions Amazon, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, Mozilla, and others, quote-unquote, whoever that is. Um, <laughs> oh, it looks like Cisco, Intel. Yeah, okay, so Amazon, Cisco, Google, Intel, Microsoft, and Mozilla, Netflix. Mm -hmm. They've created a new open-source alliance called Alliance for Open Media. And they're coming together to develop a next-gen uh, royalty-free video format and codec. Right. Uh, to obviously compete with the MPEG standard that uh, Apple and possibly others have come others up with. Others have, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but for that one, you need to pay royalties if you want to use it for your video. Right. Um, so it sounds like all these companies have, or many of these companies have started on their own versions of uh, video formats and codecs. Yeah. But they want to make sure that they're all making one that is compatible with all what they're trying to do. Right. So it's like, hey guys, we're all trying to make a royalty-free one. Why don't we just make one that works with everyone? So you don't have to have our programmers kind of start optimizing for various types and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, they're, they're going to come up with the next generation one. Um, and yeah, so I guess one of the things is that this new codec will support the, uh, the core, the commercial and non-commercial integration with like ads or like little pop-ups that you see in YouTube videos right. and that kind of thing. So that that'll be consistent across all these different companies that they're trying to kind of make a standard. Okay. And I, I think standards are always better than having kind of a differentiated, uh, segregated type system. Right. Where you have to kind of make sure that you have a bunch of different plugins for your browser or your devices and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, which is annoying for everyone. So, yeah. So they're already trying to phase Flash out. Yeah, so what is yeah. They're migrating to HTML5 yep. for a lot of their stuff. So this is going to be the next gen after HTML5 for video. Okay. I think I think that's the idea. Um, I don't know why they necessarily need a next gen. Like, I, I think it says that the that they're trying to create a format that's open and interoperable as well as optimized for the web and scalable to any device and bandwidth. Yeah. So I think that's maybe kind of the next gen part because now obviously with the different devices and, you know, even with smartwatches or, you know, wearable technology um, or the HoloLens, all that kind of stuff, there's very different devices. It's not everyone's looking on a four by three computer monitor anymore or a 16 yeah. by nine or whatever. You you want to be, have a format that is very easily viewable and translatable between different devices and, and bandwidths, obviously. Right. So, um, I guess it's good to see all these companies coming together and working together to kind of compete and be kind of a standard that's alternative to what the MPEG is with their royalties and stuff. Yep. Because if you don't need royalties, you may as well come up with your own. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's not, not major news, but it's, it's good to see that these companies are working together. And that was kind of what grabbed my attention is that, you know, these companies are, are fairly big and, Essentially, they compete against each other, but they're coming yeah. together to come up with this this new standard. They're all trying to either create, like, send video over the internet or display it after as a result yeah. of being transmitted over the internet. So they all have a vested interest in trying to make that work as well as possible. Yeah, and as video like content, like things like 4K, become more standard, and things like 60 frames per second. Um, it will be very, it will be very beneficial to them to have a video standard that does that with less bandwidth use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one less thing to worry about and have to dedicate money and time and resources to to making work with your system. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, we had you had some Uber news in here as well. A couple different stories. What did you want to get to first? Uh. We could do a well. So for one, 
I don't know, we've talked about before how Uber has kind of been in trouble with the various governments of the US and even Canada yep. for operating as a taxi service when they say, oh, we're not a taxi. Right. But yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> people are using it instead of a taxi. So yeah, I think it's safe to say you're a taxi. But um, I guess the latest thing has been their treatment of their employees or as Uber would rather see them as contractors. Right. Um, but people, the, the people that work for Uber right now have filed a class action lawsuit against Uber. Yeah. I think it was a group in California, um, that has, has come together to say, so we want to be, have, we want to have the same benefits and privileges as other employees, um, because we feel that the way that Uber uses us is more in line with being an employee versus a contractor. and. So under the classification as a contractor, Uber is free of a lot of obligations that employers have to employees as far as offering benefits and a fair wage and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but Uber's idea was that these drivers, they're not similar enough in their, in their job role or their, their different qualities and stuff to file a class action suit. Mm-hmm. And the judge was like, well, yeah, they are because they're all Uber drivers and right. they all do the same thing. So I guess these drivers are basically just fighting to have you know a fair wage and have benefits because these guys rely on Uber for their livelihood. Right. And Uber's trying to obviously pay as little money as they can because that's, their business model has fairly, I think, narrow profit margins to begin with right. because they offer fairly competitive rates. And this is going to kind of push them into that realm of not being profitable if they already aren't. Right. Uh, so it'll be even less profitable. Um, so, it, yeah, there's a, there was a ruling that drivers aren't contractors and they are employees. Okay. Um, so I guess the lawsuit is moving forward with that. Right. So this isn't, this isn't a final ruling but the judge is saying that Uber's opposition to the class action suit isn't valid. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of a developing story in that sense, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes and, and how Uber kind of responds to it, either with the business model they have and their approach to the main Uber X and, uh, you know, Uber pool service and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but that kind of brings us to the next piece of news here that, Uber has been rumored or has been reported to start looking at doing an e-commerce delivery service. Uh, so obviously, you know, you order something online with Walmart mm -hmm. or wherever, and they'll deliver that product to you using the same drivers that would otherwise be taking passengers. Right. So I guess just diversifying their, their service offerings. Yep. The thing that seems um, weird about this, this delivery thing to me is that it, it seems like it would be ripe for theft. On behalf of the drivers? Yeah, like the driver's just taking something. It seems like it. I get that... You could say that with any delivery driver, though. But delivery drivers, again, that it goes into the whole employee contractor thing. Like, if you're delivering something that is worth more than, say, a month's pay, maybe you'll just take it. 
but like if you're if you're a FedEx driver, let's say you're driving around, like you depend on that for income every day. If you're an Uber driver, you can sign up for the app, uh, get approved, and then just steal your first package and just never work for Uber again, or like sign up under a different account. Like it seems, it seems like it would be more the kind of thing where it'd be susceptible to that kind of problem versus getting a job somewhere right. and doing the same thing. Yeah. It seems like it, like I'm not saying obviously not all Uber drivers are criminals. I'm not trying to say that obviously I'm not because I've taken them and they all seem very pleasant and happy about their jobs. But it seems like the kind of thing that if you knew that people would, were having medium or high end goods delivered via Uber, people might get the idea and go, oh, you know, let's sign up for Uber. We can get some stuff and then just not deliver it. I don't know exactly how, obviously it would take insurance for this kind of thing to get set up. I'm, right. I'm sure FedEx yeah. and UPS and all of them have insurance yeah. for, for loss of that, of that type. But I think it'd be more complicated with a bunch of contractors as opposed to your employees who drive your trucks around for you. It's just a, it's just a feeling I get. And I don't, I think I'd be more hesitant to have an Uber delivery, unless it's something like groceries than I would be to have like to take an Uber as a passenger. Yeah. I think people would probably be hesitant to have anything of significant value delivered by Uber. Right. Like, like you were saying, like, yeah, you UPS or whatever is different. If you know, it's a generic package and generally the driver isn't, yeah, I'm going to just steal your your package. Right. Because, yeah. But yeah, for, for someone, like if I was to order like, yeah, a $600 phone, I wouldn't just get Uber to deliver it. Right. I'd probably make sure that I was actually there to pick it up. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see see how that works out. I could see them doing like pizza delivery. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. That'd be pretty good. Like, or just food delivery in general, right? Right. And there are actually obviously those those services like Just Eat, yeah. and that type that that does that yeah. basically that exact same business model. They just hire whoever to just drive around to businesses and deliver the food, right? Well, they're talking about like in this article, they're talking about Uber Eats in a handful of right. cities that right. they deliver food. They did for one day in Ottawa, they delivered ice cream. You could purchase ice cream for I think it was not cheap. But they went and picked up ice cream from the store and then just delivered it to whoever requested it via the app, right. which it's like it's a really cool idea. And they're taking in all these directions. I think it's I think it's really neat that you can use it for that. But these are obviously very low value things. They're not it's not something you order that you've paid for already that they're then picking up and delivering to you. It just right. it, there's a couple of steps of friction that you'd want to get rid of before deploying this around the world or around North America. Right. But it's all, it's all very interesting. I, I think. Yeah. Well, it's obviously in best in Uber's best interest to be diversifying because it seems like there's a lot of, like you said, friction with the passenger. Yeah. Hearing. Yeah. So for sure, yeah, we'll see if it pays off for them to diversify like this. Yeah. So we'll wrap up. We have one more story here that I, I saw this as well, but you put it in here. Um, what is a giga selfie? I don't know if you've seen, it was kind of a viral or at least it, it, I saw it in my feed a while ago. I think on Google plus that they have these obviously super high resolution cameras that have taken landscape pictures 
and you can kind of zoom in and click around on them to kind of look at various details in it. Yeah. So they're like gigapixel selfies. I think that's where the, the giga part comes yeah. in there. Um, or sorry, not gigapixel, gigapixel pictures, yeah. not gigapixel selfies, but they'll take, yeah, this giant large range picture. But when you zoom in, the quality doesn't get degraded significantly because it's such high resolution to begin yeah. with. Um, so this kind of plays on that concept of taking a giant picture and being able to zoom in and kind of crop and look at various parts of it. That in Australia, this company started putting these giga cameras around on various kind of tourist points with very nice landscapes. Mm -hmm. So you stand on this little kind of pedestal and on the app, you tell the camera, you pay however much for the camera to take a picture and you get the landscape picture that this camera is pointed at, this super high-resolution picture, right. and they'll email it to you or send you a link to it. But they'll also send you a selfie of you standing on this thing right? that you can kind of focus in on, but you get this giant picture of the landscape too. Yeah. So it's, it's a very... Uh, what's the word for it? Not like cheesy, but it's it's a gimmicky thing. Yeah. For sure. But I think the concept's kind of cool. Like, when I first saw it, I thought it was, like, a little drone flying around that you could kind of summon yeah, to you and yeah, take yeah. a picture of you, which would be really cool. I That'd be awesome. But <laughs> this is a little different. It's just a camera on a tripod pointed in a specific direction. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know, I think, I, I think I'd use the service just to try it. If I was a tourist, that's the kind of thing you do when you're a tourist. You yeah, just, of course. Like you'd probably use it in in Hawaii when you were there if they had it. Yeah, yeah. If you if you saw this pedestal and it, there was a thing like go to this link and then you can take a picture yeah. of yourself, then I would definitely do it. Why not? Yeah, yeah unless it was like fifty bucks or something. It'd be like, right. Well, I, I think it. it's free. I think it was the uh, Australia tourism that was actually. Oh, maybe it was just paying for as it like a pilot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's very very awesome, and I was yeah. looking at some of them. Uh, it enables you, similar to the the argument that I was making with the Apple Watch taking, using it as a remote shutter. Like, right. you can do whatever pose you want, because it's like, it gives you a five-second timer. You can do yeah. any kind of pose you want, and it will just take the picture. Yeah. I was wondering about the timer, because in the ad the video that was on the link, they had pictures of people, like, doing this. Yep. <laughs> like, in the pose, I'm like, you don't need to do that. Like, like, I don't know if they're just doing that for fun, but I think they didn't realize that there was a camera way off wherever that was actually doing the picture taking. So you didn't even need your phone out. No kidding. Yeah. Like, that defeats the whole purpose. A little bit. <laughs> Unless you want know. a picture of yourself taking a picture of yourself. <laughs> right. But yeah, I think people kind of missed the point. Of yeah. The whole thing. I saw, I saw at least one person doing like a jumping pose. Right. And it's like, yeah, you're doing it right. Yeah. But there were some people who were doing like the thing. And I'm like, <laughs> waste. yeah, but, people are always going to miss the point of things. I think that's that's did, did, did you see that that project that the one company or person did where they went around with this gigapixel camera and took these large landscape pictures but on this site it let you zoom in and click around on the different parts and like see detail and stuff yeah i've so seen like, gigapixel ones yeah yeah okay yeah because it was cool because they'll take a picture of like you know the whatever kind of jungle or amazon town or whatever and you could zoom in on the houses and look at detail of how the houses are done. Right. But the picture was taken from way far out. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. 
I've seen one, I think it was the Burj Khalifa. And it was just like the entire downtown Dubai landscape. Yeah. But you could yeah. see the whole tower. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, I guess that's it for this week. Um, it's been a nice hour and a half chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems to be a nice little pattern we're finding ourselves in. I wanted to say, I I miss Nick. I, I saw Nick on Friday and I told him like, it's, it's not the same without you. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, he adds a lot to the show. He adds so much beard. And I'm, I'm also sad. This is the longest election season in history in Canada. <laughs> Obviously it's the shortest. If this was the States, it'd be the shortest one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's still like six more weeks until the election going to be a long time without him yeah i'm hoping at some point he will jump in i'm 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 always curious as we're recording this i'm like what is he doing right now what is stopping him is he actually out canvassing right now what is he doing well you'd be surprised they have oh no i know some stuff to deliver yeah like yeah i'm sure he is and i'm like come on every week really every sunday morning (laughs) (laughs) uh but i i suppose it's possible but i just want to say nick if you're listening to this, we miss you, and we we want to have you back once yeah. the liberals sweep the election and you get hired on full time. We will uh, be hopefully be able to have you back. Yeah. <laughs> he will be back. Yeah, it's a matter of when. <laughs> all right, so thank you all for listening to this week's future ch- future chat. I'd like to thank Audible.com one more time for helping to support the show. Uh, you can help us out by visiting AudibleTrial.com/unwind. Uh, get a free 30 day trial and a free audiobook. We will be back next week with more science and tech talk, and you can find past episodes of the show and much more at unwindmedia.com slash future chat. See you next time. See you guys. Now's the time. Do you have to do you have to go or do you want to talk autoplay video or is it the moment past? Oh yeah. Yeah, let's talk about autoplay. Okay. If you have time. <laughs> autoplay video. So have you decided? Are you going to play devil's advocate? Or are you going to? I I want to hear your side to get perspective, and then I'll give my response. Okay. And and I'll tell you if it makes sense now, because to me it still doesn't make complete sense. But okay. So for context, this is a conversation we started having a couple weeks ago uh, with the whole uh, live video broadcast of a shooting from first person perspective, and um the subsequent posting of that first person video to Facebook and Twitter and people being exposed to the video starting playing in their browser without even realizing it and seeing something traumatizing from a first person perspective that obviously nobody would ever, I mean, not nobody, but very few people would want to witness that. And I don't think there's anybody who would want to witness that without at least knowing it was coming first. And so it there's been a lot of discussion since autoplaying videos started to become a thing on social networks and on places like YouTube. Uh, autoplay is a thing. It just makes me worry about precedent. There are a lot of like advertising specifically tends to be in a kind of it's a video format. So you'll see a little ad, but it'll also be playing sound. And those tend to be really, really annoying because they're in your face when you if you're seeing a video ad on a website, it's generally considered that you're trying to do something else. It's not like, 
it's not like, oh, you know, I wanted to read this article, but I'll just listen to and watch this video first because that's what they want me to do. Right. It, you're, you're trying to read this thing and this is distracting you. So you're either going to hit the, the mute button or you're going to leave the site. One of those things like and then if you go to the instance of social media, most of the time I scroll like now I'm in the habit like auto playing video is muted on Instagram, on Facebook, and I believe on Twitter. So you have to actually click into the video yeah. if you want to hear sound. And that was the argument you were making is like, it doesn't make any sound. So why, how is it different than just an image? And I, I think for social media, 90% of videos, it's fine. Maybe even 95%, it's fine. And like, it doesn't really matter. It's just a a moving image similar to a gif that it's fine because they're in, the intent in posting it is like look at this right away i'm posting this on twitter or facebook because i know it autoplays and i know that it's going to get millions of views because of the nature of how autoplaying video works but in the in the rare case where there's something malicious or there's something that people wouldn't necessarily want to see i don't think it's a great idea to have autoplaying video on all the time because of instances like and this is obvious like generally the case of people some people the select few ruining it for everyone but it's like you can't if you can't trust all video to not be disturbing to some people it's hard to have autoplay on by default and that's what these companies have opted to do they've opted for like play first ask questions later so mm -hmm. like this, these videos did eventually get taken down, but a lot of people saw them and a lot of people were very vocally complaining about seeing them. And so I just, I think it's at least worth talking about and maybe reconsidering. Like I was lucky in that when I was scrolling through Twitter, I saw the thumbnail and it, it was kind of like semi buffering and I knew what it was going to be. I was like, I don't want to see this. And I was able to scroll away. So all I saw was the first screenshot. So it alerted mm -hmm. me to the fact that it was coming. But if I had just not scrolled, if I had just taken no action on this website, a video of someone getting shot very close up would have just started playing. And like that's, it's just not okay with me. I want to have that option. And so I immediately went and like shut off autoplay on all the things that I hadn't already done it on and tried not so to worry about it. So you did shut off autoplay yeah. on all your apps? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? So I, to start off, I, I understand what you're saying and I completely agree. Right. I think the main issue is that there isn't really an alternative solution. Um, so as far as, as far as my argument about it's no different than an image this week, we had that viral image of the Syrian child yep. that, Every time I saw it, I was like, why is this even posted? Like, who wants to see that? Absolutely. Not that, you know, yeah, I understand that it's real, it's happening, but that doesn't mean that it should be all over my Facebook feed and the news sites yeah. and everything. Um, I actually did see one global article I read on the thing. It had, like, the sliding window that said, you know, warning, this image may be disturbing. Yeah. Click click to see it, but it didn't automatically show it, which right. I appreciated because... Yeah. Yeah, like, I saw the first one it had but the effect on me, but I didn't need to keep seeing it all day. Yep. I, but beside the point, you, the other option is you could, when you upload an image or a video, but say in this case a video, 
you have to give it a rating, and then you can choose to hide videos with a certain rating, yeah. say if it included violent or you know sexual content or whatever. Yep. Whatever it is you didn't want to see, you would have that type of option to hide or not autoplay certain videos. Yep. But then you have people that want as much exposure as possible, so they may not honestly yep. rate the video. And then you'll have to go through a reporting process and have it taken down, which, you, from which you're saying it thing. happened anyway. Yep. Like, people were flagging it and they got taken yeah. down anyway, right? Yeah. So, I yeah, other than just turning off autoplay altogether, there is no real other option. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I guess you're saying that videos would have more of an effect than an image would, which yeah, I could agree with as well. Yeah. Like if, if you saw the, this, the, the image you're talking about, if you saw a video clip of that, I think it would be more disturbing than just an image. Sure. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. orders of magnitude more like in the case of, of this yeah. shooting, but I, I still think that video, like a, an image is always going to be a snapshot of a thing. It's yeah. not the way we're used to experiencing reality, whereas a video right. is how we're used to experiencing it. So like it's, it has way more of an impact having video than it does having an image. Yeah. And it, it's weird because like we had started, say with a lot of TV shows and movies, they'll be very graphic. Yeah. You know, like you watch, you, you see people getting shot, there's simulated blood, like whatever. For If you didn't know it was a movie you would you'd think it was real yeah but because you know you're watching you know it's a movie you you, you're in a different frame of mind you're not like you're i guess desensitized in a way but prepared for it you're prepared and you're like this is a movie it's fake these are actors and you know the the hole in their head isn't real but if you saw a movie or like a clip from again like syria as an example Mm -hmm. of people getting shot in the head i think you'd be like affected and almost traumatized by that just because you know that it's real yeah absolutely right so i think that's kind of the other thing it's like yeah if you saw like just a movie clip you wouldn't care but because it's real and it's it's a video then it's quite effective that way yeah but back to your your argument against having autoplay i don't think it's a problem with it's a problem with autoplay but it's not their fault it's definitely it's not their fault. fault. It's just like, that's the whole thing of having a default. And we did we talk about this on the air last time? If you had, I forget what it was in context of, but if you had a thing when you first open the app that's like, it pops up, do you want videos to autoplay in your timeline? Yes or no? At least if you're going to set the default, set it as off. But if if you set it as off and then give people the option immediately with a pop-up to turn it on, I think that's right. a better option than just having it on and having people have to go and turn it off. I mean, it's not, the fact is it's not that hard to program that kind of functionality into your app or your mm-hmm. service, whatever it is. So I think that as a way of just giving people the option, I think it's the best way to go. But like you, you were able to find a place to turn it off, and you did. Yeah. But I guess, like you're saying, you'd prefer to have not had to go through watching it. I wouldn't to have get to the even point want it to be an option that, like, if if I could click a 
button or tell a person or any, if I could take any action to be like, I don't ever want to see anything disturbing again. And I could click that and then I would never see anything disturbing. I would click that button, but that's not the option that we're. No, of course. Right. Because you depend on people to be honest about if their video is disturbing or not. Right. And even then it, I wouldn't, I don't think that's the right answer is having a thing where everything you look at, everything you experience has to go through a filter first. I don't think that's the right option either. I, right. I think that it should just be, you should have the option to be, to pre- allow yourself to prepare yourself to, for what you can expect to see. Yeah. And I, it just seems like, unless that's going to be very hard to do, like if you go walk out on the street, you might witness a car accident. You don't, you right. can't turn that off, but there are things in life with technology that you can either turn off or allow yourself to prepare yourself for it. If you, yeah. if you had to go and witness a car accident and someone said, you were given the option to either witness it without knowing right. it was coming or be like, right. you're about to see a car accident, uh, pre- like mentally prepare yourself, here it comes. Like everyone would rather take that option to, to be able to at least take a second to be like, okay, I'm going to experience this. I would, I would find it very hard to believe that somebody would be like, no, you know what? I, I want to be surprised by it. I want this thing to happen that I am not expecting at all. And I, that's just, right. that's what I think the experience should be. And these companies have the option to do that. And they're not, or at least most of them are, are go, going the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where we landed on this. I think it's just, it's more of like a think about it than this is right and wrong and companies should watch this or listen to this and then act accordingly. I think it's just a matter of reflecting on autoplaying video and, and at least knowing that people are affected by it. Yeah. I think the whole thing is that these videos did violate the terms of service to begin with. So, they shouldn't have been there in the first place and then it wouldn't be an issue because in theory videos posted shouldn't be bad enough that you would rather not see them. Yep. Absolutely. Right? So yeah, I guess it's just people are bad and yeah. try to put those types of videos on. Well, it's like on a public transit system, we need to have um, police or special constables or whatever patrolling buses and trains yeah to catch people who are not paying for their tickets. Like it, it's only people, this only affects people who are already being immoral in some way. Obviously that is the, the difference between those two acts is vastly different, but we need to put money into this infrastructure. Like if everyone was 100% moral, we wouldn't need to lock our doors on our homes. We wouldn't need to lock our cars. Uh, there's all these things we wouldn't need, but we do need them because of this minority of people who take advantage of lack of security or lack of filters to whatever access to things. Like if you're talking, you can talk about a a door lock as a filter to your home. Like it's something you need a key for to get in. Yeah. And we need all those filters in life because there are people who go against the rules. There's always going to be that. You're not going to fix humanity. You have to, take steps to 
prevent people who are going to take advantage of a system from taking advantage of it. Yeah. One of the best we have right now is just the user-based flagging reporting system. Yeah, exactly. Which has its own lag time and it's can or cannot be effective. Yeah. By the time someone, even the first person flagged that video, it could be the thousands of people that already seen it. And it's been replicated and exactly. put, put back up a yeah. hundred more times. So Exactly. All right. Well, I, yeah, I don't think we're going to solve this, but I'm glad we had that conversation. It's something I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks now. And I, I mean, even before that, that video yeah. was posted. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. And I th- it was topical about, you know, the, the photo that's been circulating this yeah. week. And I saw a couple of think pieces about, oh, well, you know, people should be, should w- have to see the picture or should want to see it or whatever. Yeah. You know, as far as, you know, that this is reality. Well, yeah, it is, but that doesn't mean it's something that should be, like, broadcast. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. It's it's not going to do anything. Like, people aren't going to behave any differently because they saw that. They'll be sad mm-hmm. and affected, but that's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I don't know, maybe some people might feel compelled to go, right. like, help people there, but for the vast majority of people it's just going to make their day worse seeing that picture yeah it's not i don't think it's going to move people to act any more than just hearing about the event if you heard that this horrible tragic event took place that will move a certain number of people to act in defense of it or in to to change the system Mm -hmm. and i don't think the image itself helps enough in addition to just hearing about it to justify have everybody having to see her being plastered everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that is up to everyone. They're able to make their own minds about that, but that's the way I feel. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway, on that cheery note, (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) thanks for watching and uh, see you next week, Mike. Okay. See ya.